Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets, and other topics of interest for institutional investors. Each week, I'm joined by QIC's Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Good morning, Matthew. Hi, Alison. It's been a while since I've commented on the weather, but we can't seem to rid ourselves of clouds up here in Brisbane at the moment. It is quite unseasonal, I agree, but still warm, so I can't complain. Matthew, I did want to pick up on some of the topics we had a good chat about last week, though, if that's okay. And in particular, your correct call that the RBA would raise again by a quarter of a percent on Cup Day. So now the question is, are we done? Well, thanks for firstly, thanks for acknowledging that correct call. There was us and uh, 32 of the 33 (laughs) (laughs) co-panelists on the Bloomberg panel that uh, got that call right. So we weren't on our own. Um, Are we done? Well, it looks to me like we're done. But on the other hand, the uh, RBA, although they've toned down a bit, Alison, they still retain a slight tightening bias. And so I suppose that does still leave the door open for another rate hike. Okay. Well, the market has a little bit priced in, but what do you think it is that would push the RBA to actually go for another hike? And, you know, if they did, presume next year? Well, really, there's there's one underlying factor that's that's going to drive the RBA's decision making. That's where inflation goes. And what we've got to see is inflation continuing this downward trend, in particular underlying inflation. Now, if we're looking for, for signposts that's going to guide the RBA, I would say we've got on Wednesday a key data release. That's the September quarter wage data. Then on Thursday, we get the labour market data for October and we get labour market data each month. So they're going to be key data points. And then in January, we get the December quarter uh, CPI data. So for the RBA to go again, they would need to see, I believe, upside surprises on each of those releases. Now, what would that mean in practice? It would mean that on Wednesday, we'd need to see the annual rate of growth in inflation north of 4%. We'd have to see over the the coming monthly labour market reports, uh, an unemployment rate that wasn't continuing to go up towards that 4% number. And you'd have to see in January, the uh, CPI outturn for the December quarter north of 4.5%. So if you've got those numbers, that is wage growth north of 4%, the unemployment rate not making progress towards 4%, and the CPI data north of 4.5%, I think you would see the RBA go again, and that would happen at their first meeting of 2024, which is in February. Thanks, Matthew. That was a really, really good summary. So once we get beyond February, we may or may not get the rise, but when can we expect some cuts? Well, the market, not that the market's always right, of course, but the market's not anticipating rate cuts at all over 2024. And in this particular instance, I think the market's probably right. So, you know, if you're looking forward and, and looking at the way things are panning out at the moment, at the end of next year, you'll probably still see inflation above the top end of that RBA target band of 2 to 3%. You'll see the unemployment rate just starting to nudge back to that neutral rate of 4.25%, so still a reasonably tight labour market. And those two things combined are not going to be enough, I don't think, for the RBA to cut rates until you get into 2025. Well, interesting you should mention that because we are seeing some differences in what we're seeing in the Australian market pricing and what we're seeing in the US and where they are starting to price more cuts back in for next year. And 
I think that's really on the back of data that we discussed a little bit last week, Matthew, that, you know, we're seeing some potentially the tighter rates and the environment uh, really starting to bite a bit more in the US. So this week we had the payrolls report, which I think also indicated a slowing economy. And you did predict last week that the Fed's now on hold. I guess that's still the case? Yeah, well, that payrolls report really disappointed to the downside for October. And it continued this falling trend in employment growth that now extends back over a year. And the unemployment rate in the US is rising steadily and should break through uh, 4% next month, unlike, say, in, in Australia. So yes, you know, the Fed's on hold. You're listening to Hallison Hill and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where I'm discussing markets and economics with Dr. Matthew Peter. Matt, there's been a lot of talk about the so-called R-star, the long-term neutral rate for the US, which is neither contractionary or expansionary. Historically, there's been a bit of a range, but around about 2.5% is sort of the average you hear for an R-star. But I know you've been doing a lot of work on this one, and it is critically important to think about what type of cuts we might actually be able to expect down the track. And certainly, as I said, the market's pricing in quite a few now for 2024. But what are your thoughts? Where is R-star? Yeah, well, as you point out, the historical estimates of this R-star, this neutral rate, rate are, are exactly that. They're estimates based off history. And that history that they're largely based off now is that decade between the GFC and COVID. And, and the unique thing about that decade was at a period where central banks across the globe were suppressing interest rates through uh, that policy tool that we came to know as quantitative easing. So estimates of this neutral rate that really incorporate averages, you know, a long period of history, so like a decade average of, of, of interest rates um, going back, you know, are picking up what we think is a very artificially or uniquely low period of interest rates. And that's what gets you this R star or this neutral rate of 2.5% that you cited. But as we've exited out of COVID, the post-COVID era is no longer characterised by quantitative easing, by central banks injecting liquidity into the economy and suppressing interest rates. And in fact, the opposites now are starting to occur, particularly by the Fed, and that opposite is known as quantitative tightening. So instead of actually buying bonds, injecting liquidity into the economy, they're selling bonds and taking liquidity out, driving up interest rates in the process. So without the suppression of interest rates that was generated through that policy quantitative easing, one would expect that neutral rate, the so-called R-star, to rise. And our estimates are in the US that it's somewhere a bit north of 3%. And in Australia, where the RBA estimated R-star to be 3.5% back you know, a few years ago, in Australia, we think that estimate's probably closer to 3.8% now. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. And I think it's really been interesting to watch the markets and how they've been reacting with the, the really the concept of what should the nominal rate of interest be and where should the real rate of interest be. And, and it is largely associated around this R star. So we've had quite material moves in uh, bond yields over recent weeks. We had a significant rally, which was quite extraordinary after we hit that high. And now, um, you know, bonds yields are, you know, quite a bit lower than where they were. And in line with that, you've had equity markets, perhaps what you would expect. So when we had that strong rise in rates, uh, equities were quite soft and we did hit that contractionary territory for the S&P and for the NASDAQ. Uh, but we've seen most of that largely reverse now in equities and equities have now rebounded in line with that rally in bond yields and, you know, they're not far off their highs again. So, look, the markets are really closely uh, analysing this and we are still seeing volatility in the markets. Alison, uh, we're well through earnings season in the US now. Any interesting takeaways from the market at this stage? 
Yeah, I think so, Matt. I mean, look, it's always really interesting to watch. And we've so far, we've had 405 companies or 85% of the S&P report as that time of recording. Q3 QPS earnings have been pretty good. So 4% beat versus consensus. But underlying that, I think there's some interesting messages we're starting to hear. You know, we get the CEOs and the CFOs making commentary after their releases. And what we have seen alongside of the softer retail sales, and there is a softer retail sales of negative 2% year on year, but In particular, the commentary from the consumer sector execs is quite interesting. And the the use of the phrase weak demand uh, is almost at record highs. It does appear when they're looking on a forward-looking basis that they're guiding the market to the fact that there could be more challenging conditions. And I think that's a, a function of the rates that we've been talking about, Matt, but also potentially real demand. So yeah. something to keep watching. Um, we have been talking about whether equities are a little overvalued and, you know, there does appear to be a bit of, I guess, foretelling that there could be some weakness to come. Yeah, and, you know, as you've seen the, the labour market sort of softening in the US and the all-important consumer in the US, you've got more evidence of uh, potential weakness in the consumer coming out of the uh, the movements in the equity markets. If that consumer, which is 70% of the US economy, starts to roll over, then you're into uh, quite a uh, meaningful slowdown in what's been an incredibly resilient uh, US economy to date. Absolutely. So I think that question of whether that soft landing that we referred to mm. before as possible may start to come into question again with some of the data we're seeing, but mm-hmm. we'll we'll wait and see. Um, Matt, thank you for joining me again today, and thanks to our listeners for taking 10.